Voyage. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey today. Hey, listeners of Fever Dreams. This is Dan Benamore, head of podcast for Voyage Media. Just like we did last time, this week we're bringing you the first episode of a fiction series. So this is Otzi the Iceman Must Die. This is a series that we did with Ethan Suplee, who you might know from, remember, The Titans or a million other things. Uh, My name is Earl. He's been in a ton of projects, but he is chilling in this as a killer based on real history it's one of the most incredible uh stories of in terms of like a cold case (laughs) in all of recorded human history uh this is based on a real person who lived thousands of years ago and was discovered perfectly preserved in ice in the italian alps and uh, scientists were able to figure out exactly how he died but they don't know why or who killed him and so we made a fiction podcast answering those questions. So you'll hear a little bit of that historical context at the beginning of the episode, and then the rest of it is straight up fiction and uh, we think has incredible performances, incredible sound design. If you like uh, movies like The Revenant, we think you're really going to enjoy this series, Otzi the Iceman Must Die. And stay tuned at the end of the episode for instructions on where you can find the rest of the series. Here's episode one. Otzi the Iceman is a real person. His body was preserved in ice for 5,300 years before being discovered by hikers in the Italian Alps in 1991. The unique opportunity afforded by Otzi's frozen state is that scientists were able to perform a forensic analysis on him. They studied the copper axe he was found with, a rare and highly valuable tool of the time that marked Otzi as someone of special status. They were able to learn what he ate for his last meal, study his dozens of tattoos, and find out how he died. He was murdered. The BBC reported in 2017 that the director of the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology, which houses Otzi's body, called in a detective from the Munich Police Department to consult on Otzi's murder. It sounds like a joke, but that really happened. The detective felt it was telling that whoever killed Otzi left behind his valuable copper axe. He felt this meant it was not a crime for profit, but more likely a personal vendetta. Perhaps it was one like this. Utsi must die. I've thought on it for many days. There is no other solution for what he's done to me, for what he took from me, for his pride. Because I am the son of Jakku and he is not. Because everything this world was meant to be for me lives in him. Utsi must die. I am Rube. I live in a village in the green meadow surrounded by forested hills and snowy mountains. 
My village has many thatched dwellings with white mortar over stone walls and animal skins to mark the entrances. My family has lived in this village since it was just an empty patch of land. My father, Jakku, founded this village, traveling here after leaving his tribe in a faraway land. He killed a bear the first night he and my family settled here, spearing it as it menaced my mother and me. I was a small child. It was one of my first memories. An unholy terror at the sight of that enormous bear. I've been frightened of bears ever since. The killing of the bear sustained us for weeks. We ate bear meat and used the bear skin for clothing. My father's brothers and sisters joined our village and eventually other families did as well. He was a respected man. He is dead now and I, his only son, am tasked with carrying forward our line. But I have yet to have a child. My best chance was before Otsi arrived. There was a woman in our village, Mara. She wanted to be my mate. She was shy. Greetings, Mara. Rube. I fashioned this for you. I had strung together a necklace of colorful limpet shells. They shined in the sun. Mara grinned when she saw it. This is beautiful, Rube. Thank you. I would give you anything. That's kind of you to say. Well then? I need time to think. What is there to think about? I will task myself with your every need. We will have a child. Children! We will carry my line forward together. I know what you want. Have I not been generous with you? All your gifts are very appreciated. Why do you wait then? I don't make this choice easily. It's important. Agreed. It is important that you choose a worthy mate in me. I know you want this. I see it in your eyes. Come visit me on the next full moon, Rube. I will give you your answer then. She had one of her shy smiles when she said that. I felt it in my heart. The next full moon. She was romantic. That would be when we would finally be together. How many times I had thought of touching her of my chest swelling with pride, watching her move about my home, of caring for her as she carried my child. Mara was of strong mind and body. She was as comfortable harvesting a field as she was skinning a deer. She had cooked for me before and was skilled in this as well. She was wise. Her mother and father had taught her everything they knew before they passed from fever and she had always had a patient ear. There was little debate that she was the most beautiful woman in the village, though she was so humble in manner that none of the other women resented her. I was not the only man who would want Mara for a mate, just the most persistent. Yes, it was best this way. The next full moon, perfect. That night my heart was beating so fast, I worried I might die before I reached Mara. I went to her dwelling. The moment she greeted me, I knew. It was as if I knew it all before she said a word. What happened? Are you hurt? Rube, I should return your gifts. Why would you? I am with Utsi now. Utsi? The stranger? The dirty traveler? He is my mate. Why? I'm sorry. So fast? He just barely arrived here. It feels right. 
What does he have that I don't? She had no answer. Were you ever going to be mine? I belong to no one. Please, just answer me that. I will bring your gifts in a basket and leave them at your dwelling. Let's see. I recalled when he first arrived at our village. His skin was darkened from the sun, marking him as a traveler. Surely he would leave Mara, and she would regret choosing him over me. He wore a shabby hide coat, strips of leather stitched together with animal sinews, nothing as fine as my fox skin. His body was marked up all over, markings I'd seen on other men whose bodies were failing, from healing pricks by the shamans, marked in charcoal. He wore a flint dagger sheathed in leather hung from his hip. This was the man Mara had left me for? Not long after she told me, Utzi came to my home. I was sharpening my flint dagger, which was almost twice as large as Utzi's. When I saw him approaching, I held the blade in my hand just long enough to make him nervous. He'd come with a quiver of arrows and a bow he presented them to me. I carried these from the south. They will serve you well for hunting in the forest. Yes. She chose me. I heard. There was no way for me to know about you when I met her. You could have asked. She said nothing about being your mate. She's shy. Or perhaps kind. Too kind. Speak plainly, traveler. Are you certain she was going to be your mate? Did she ever say so? She didn't have to. You are welcome for the gift. Small payment. I wish you well, Rube. As he said that I knew, the only chance I'd have to still see Mara, to maybe one day change things. Forgive me. Oh? You're right. She chose you. You've done nothing wrong. I'm... Please do see it that way. She is a fine woman. I'm heartsick, but that is no cause to shame you. It's understandable. It speaks well of you for you to come here, like this, in respect. I thank you, truly. Moreover, I hope we can be friends. My welcome bet. Good. What a fool. Yet for reasons I could never understand, she loved him. As I remained childless, they had a niece, Dorva, and Zaki. A son first, of course, and three children. One wasn't enough. Though the son, Anise, was a cripple, needing a walking stick to get around with a deformed left foot. Our children would have had no such imperfections had Mara carried my seed. I tried to forget Mara. I even found another mate, Thela. She was not Mara, not as alluring in my eyes, but a good woman. She would have made a good mate. When her belly grew with child, I thought maybe fortune had come to favor me. Maybe this was meant to be. It wasn't, of course. She died in childbirth. My mate and my child dead in the same day. After that, I bore the shame of being the only male without a mate in the village. The years continued to march brutally ahead. And as they did, Otsi became chief of the village. He did so easily. After my father died, his youngest brother was chief. When he died, Otsi was chosen by the elders to become the next chief. Why not I? No one ever told me why. It was decided by the Council of Elders. For Otsi, it was not about his value to the village, though everyone would claim it was. It was because Otsi, as a simple idiot, was well-liked. 
His full mind made him warm and friendly to everyone, no matter who they were or what they thought of him. A true chief should be savvy, strategic, wary of potential threats. Utsi was not that way. It was a clear weakness, but no one cared what I had to say about it. Mara was never far from my thoughts. I made certain to visit Mara whenever Utsi was away on his many travels. I could help you with that. No, thank you. Utsi has been gone longer than usual. Yes, maybe so. Do you worry for him? Of course. There are wolves and bears that come down when they're hungry. From the forest. I've had to scare some away with a fire at night. He knows how to handle them. He's careful. I wouldn't want to be traveling so much. Especially not with you here alone. Who knows what can happen? The mountains are treacherous as well. Not to even speak of the northerners. They've killed some of my friends over the years. I'm sure Otsi is fine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But if something were to ever happen, I want you to know you and your children would be cared for, and I would expect nothing in return. This last part was crucial. She couldn't think I was angling to steal her away. It had to be about pure good intent. I have to finish milking the goats. Thank you, as always, for your support. Really, Rube, I hear you, and I mean what I say. Thank you. She looked me in the eyes when she said that. There was a moment of connection. Were old feelings still there? She knew I cared for her. She knew I was reliable, and I was there. More than anyone could say about Utsi. Utsi returned, alive and healthy. For the chief of the village, he spent too little time here. I had casually mentioned this in discussions with many of the village elders over the years. They were beginning to see him as I did. I watched him return home. I watched him greet his many children. I ventured close enough to his dwelling to overhear Otsi and Mara talking. You seem different. Do I? Warmer. Your eyes, there's a look about you I can't explain. I don't know what... No, it can't be. Are we having another baby? The shaman says it will be a son. <laughs> he is always wrong. I thought my blood would boil until it exploded from my body. How many times? How many times will the gods of this world smite me? Why him? What has he done to deserve all this? What have I done not to? My mate who carried my child, Fella, what did she do that she had to die? I had decided that waiting for my fate to change was no longer an option. I would change my fate by force of will. I would find a way to separate her from Utsi. I would become an expert on Utsi, know his habits, his wants and needs, know his very thoughts before he could think them, so as best to defeat him. I entered their dwelling, as if I hadn't been listening to their entire conversation from outside. Did the trading go well? Did you get a good exchange for my flint cutters? Oh, yes. And I found the fox head hat you wanted. He handed it to me. Oh, I'll have to trim it and clean it. It still smells. It will serve its purpose. Bjorn's wooden bowls and beakers were easy to trade, as were Sodal's little clay oil lamps. The short-woven grass tunics were popular with the women. Apart from that, I'll have to return some items to villagers. And my oakwood knives? Here. Utsi removed them from one of his many traveling sacks. This one is cracked. 
that's how you gave it to me. Maybe I should go next time. I'm sure I'll do better. Are you home for good, Utsi? I'm not trekking over the mountains again. I'm getting too old. I sense discomfort from him. That wasn't a problem for me. I luxuriated in Utsi's discomfort. And he was getting old, while I was the younger, stronger man. I absently hoped he would die soon and save me the trouble of killing him. Thank you for the visit, Rube. I lived in that silence for a long moment. My small rebellion against Utsi, stretching the silence to its breaking point, making sure he knew I would leave when I so chose, not when he ordered me. The following day, I followed Utsi and Annis to a stream where they were collecting rocks. I knew why. Utsi had tried and failed for many years to heat a special kind of rock, to make stronger tools. He would ramble about learning it from someone far away on his travels, but he could never find the right rocks in enough quantity. It brought me great joy to watch him fail at something, so I often watched when he tried. Pretty rocks. Good morning, Rube. What are you doing? Looking for copper ore stones. You haven't found any before. Annis thinks he found some. The boy, Annis, walked barefoot in the stream. He brought over a greenish rock. No, sorry, not that. The right color, but the wrong grain. Only gold is worth such a search. When I was in the east visiting Uncle Eric... This again. He showed me the great value of rocks that contain copper. Gold and silver are too soft and can't hold a sharp edge as well as copper. If we can cook out the copper, we can trade it for gold, goats, and grain. I can make magic with such rocks. I've seen it. Black magic. No good will come from such a thing. I left. Certain Utsi would fail again. Months passed. A storm battered Utsi and Mara's field, ruining their wheat crop. The loss was massive, and Mara's belly had grown large. The child would be coming soon enough. If it were only Utsi, I'd have cheered and happily watched him starve to death. But it wasn't only Utsi. I watched Mara examine young stalks bent flat by terrible winds. When she gasped and bent over in pain, I rushed to her aid, as Utsi was in another part of the field. I'm fine, Rube. Thela had the same pains. Thank you for your concerns. But I am her mate, and she carries my child. Someone needs to watch over her as you run off every chance you get. For vital training that the village needs. That we need. Annis is a man now, and he can watch over his mother and the children. <laughs> a man? This stops now. Rube, please leave. You need to rest. I'll rest when I know we have enough food for the winter. We need another satchel of seed. I only have the bag of seed Anders left us. What will we feed the children? I will hunt more. Even if we slaughter all the goats, it won't be enough to last the winter. Did the southerner have more grain? No, but there is still time to trade for more seed. He will be back soon, and the stones he'll bring could feed us. Are we so hungry that we should eat stones? I believe I can make copper from the stones and form it into tools to trade. It will be very valuable. More black magic. Mara, my field was unharmed in the storm. You and your children can eat with me when you're hungry. No, Rube, we must find our own way. You would rather die than eat at my table? This is our problem. We will find our own solution. She needs my help, and she knows it. She's just proud and stubborn. 
Two more things I love about her. Anders, the southerner, arrived in town with a goat carrying sacks of goods, including Utzi's rocks. His arrival made everyone gather around, curious about what he'd brought. I said loud enough for everyone to hear, Utzi, good luck with that load of old rocks, and congratulations, you found a goat older than you. Pray he doesn't die before he reaches your home. Utzi, fool that he is, started working on the stones at dawn. I hid amongst the closest trees and watched. He started a fire and used a wooden stick to clean out a pit. He had a pile of blue and green rocks from Anders collected nearby. Anders and Annis helped him. They brought wood for the pit. Anders used two sticks to move a hot coal from the pilot fire to the pit, which they used to stoke a larger fire within the pit. Utsi used a piece of bamboo as a pipe, carving a groove into the edge of the pit and fitting one end of the pipe into the groove. He placed some of the blue and green stones on a flat rock and crushed them with a stone hammer. With Anders and Annis' help, they repeated the process until they had a large pile of crushed fragments of the blue-green stone. They took turns blowing through the bamboo pipe to stoke the fire. I grew restless and wanted to leave, but something seemed different this time. Utsi's manner was more spirited. I stayed and kept watch. Utsi let the fire cool and pulled out the heated fragments of stone. He dropped them into a bowl of water and pulled out what I could only assume were chunks of copper. They practically danced around. He did it. I returned home and didn't sleep the following night. I came back at dawn to see Utsi had fashioned a mold for an axe head. He was going to make a copper axe. I'd never seen such a thing. It would be valuable, and the talk of the village for months. Utsi this, Utsi that, Utsi is a good chief. Rube, why did you worry? His many travels validated. My whispers of his weakness as a chief now an embarrassment. I even mocked the stones just a few days prior in front of everyone. All my fears came to pass. Utsi fashioned the axe from copper. He and Anis paraded it through town. It was a grand testament to Utsi. He even said this to me. <laughs> Look, Rube, I told you it could be done. See? No, I don't see. I don't see the axe you've been waving around like a stupid, gleeful child all day. Yes, you were right. Saying that felt like wrenching a dagger through my stomach. If you want to use it before I take it to trade, come to my home. I can't wait too long. Maybe I will. I knew he'd need to trade it in order to feed his family, but it was no comfort. Such a thing rightfully should be mine. If there was any justice in this world, Utsi had had enough good fortune for ten lifetimes. I knew then that I would steal the axe. Mara and the children would eat at my table. Utsi could starve. I'd find a way. Perhaps poison. I could say that Utsi had had the fever. It had killed in the village before. Something, of course, that Mara knew, as she had lost her parents to it. If he stayed with his wife and children, they would get sick too, so they would have to be with me. He'd need to be separated, alone. He could die alone. Utsi's death would be thought of as sickness. I knew there were those who had natural poisons, certain berries that could be placed in food. They called it crab's eye. But first, I would take my axe. I waited until Utsi and Annis were alone, nearly back at their dwelling. Annis had the axe in a satchel. Only Utsi would be foolish enough to let his crippled son hold such a thing. Utsi deserved this. 
tore the satchel containing the axe from Manus. I rushed off. Glancing back, I saw Hootsie chasing me. My fear gradually gave way to joy. He tired. He slowed. He gave up. Yes, Hootsie must die. And by taking his axe, I've started killing him. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to listen to the rest of the series, all you have to do is search Otzi the Iceman Must Die anywhere you get podcasts. You can also click on the website link on this episode, or you can just click on Voyage Media if you're in Apple Podcasts, or just search for Voyage Media, or go to voyagemedia.fm where you can always find any of our shows. Thanks. Hello, and thanks for calling the arena. If you know your party's extension, you can dial it at any time. If you're psychiatrist has gone missing press three press three that sounds ill-advised life is about choices man you and i both suffer from a very rare form of mental illness right yep yep that's us i'm just saying we're probably not the best private investigators since we don't know what's real the waitress at the chinese restaurant she told me that i needed to complete three trials to find sadler okay but how long have you been out of your meds three trials the arena, the old factory, the inventor's basement. The inventor's basement. Exactly. Mama, I met someone today. You're not going to believe this. Half spider, half human. You all have this disorder. We call it the imperfection. Okay, so we just got off the train at a stop called East River between East Broadway and York Street, which I'm pretty sure doesn't exist. We are not a cop show, Charlie. Uh, I know that, but we're friends, and I need my friends. How sure are you that these things are actually happening in real life? It seems like reality can be a little slippery. Charlie! Charlie! They're on my face! Amber, Amber, stop, 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 stop it, stop these it. fucking spiders, they are everywhere. The Imperfection, an audio drama in nine parts, produced by Wolf at the Door Studios. Out now. For more information, please visit WLFDR.com.